0: invite you to open your Bibles to Exodus 33. I know our reading began in 34, but uh, the narrative we left was in 33 verse 8. goes into chapter 34. This is the second half of the golden calf narrative. Uh, this is, this is a, a parallel, these passages. The first, first aspect of it demonstrated uh, the rebellious people and the, uh, the fury of God. The jealousy uh, of his relationship with them. This section is going to show us his fellowship, his friendship, his, uh, his forgiveness to redeem his people. Uh, to atone for their waywardness and their sin. There's a flow to the Exodus as a whole. Just a reminder we're in the... oh. Well, Hey, that does that on Sunday night too, doesn't it? Blink, blink, blink. There's something in, the, in my animation settings that's fouled up. There's three major movements in the book of Exodus. It begins in Egypt, chapters 1 to 15, and then we have this travel Dialogue travel narrative from 15 to 18 on our way to Mount Sinai. The bulk of the book, half of it, is actually at Mount Sinai, chapters 19 through 40. And this is where we are. We're smack in the middle of this. And we're in this tabernacle section, uh, tabernacle narrative, which also has some interesting movements, about four movements. It begins with a conscription uh, of of God calling his people. I'm conscribing and pulling you together and pulling resources together, not only people, manpower, but finances, resources. And I'm going I'm to instruct Moses uh, the pattern in heaven is the pattern that will be used for the earthly tabernacle. And then we're th- expected to, to go right into the building, right into construction, chapters 35 to 40. But, it, but hold, there's a break, right? There's an interruption, chapters 32 to 34. And we find ourselves in, in this problem uh, passage. The, the people uh, have gotten impatient with the Lord and impatient with Moses in particular. And they have, they have asked uh, Aaron, the, the second in lead, uh, to take Moses' place in effect. This is always, always a challenge when, when the primary leader is... is doing what he's supposed to be doing and the people can get impatient and call on the next in command or the next leader, the one they think might be, uh, to take it and and it's the temptation of, of everyone to allow that to be and we see right here that generally what will happen is rebellious nature comes out in idolatry and we elevate things that Ought not be elevated over and above the Lord himself. And now Moses has been up on the mountain 40, 40 days and he's just about ready to come down. The Lord's just about through with the message of no idols and the people have indeed fallen already into creating an image of what they believe God is like, what they think God is like in their own imagination. And... It's a God that, that doesn't deal with sin. Now, there are parameters. I'm sorry, we, we can go back that, that one if we're able to. There's parameters around the passage, um, even within the two halves. And, and I, I really enjoy this part, and, and I just can't help but share it with you. Uh, this passage is bracketed by the face Moses in the face of the Lord, a fellowship with the Lord. It begins with the tent of meeting, uh, verses 7 to 11 of chapter 33. And this, this key phrase, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, if we would we'd round out the end of the chapter, and we come to chapter thirty-four, verses twenty-eight to thirty-five. There's this paragraph of uh, of Jesus, of Moses actually meeting in the tent of meeting, and we get the idea that this is an ongoing, regular kind of occurrence. And when he does the face, uh, he, he, face to face, his face shone with the glory of the Lord. And so you can see the brackets around this unit and this passage, rounding it out. Well, this. Face-to-face is a great devotional thought, isn't it? You say yes to the songs, you can say yes to the sermons too. Yeah, okay, yes, amen. So it is. Okay, face-to-face, fa- no, the, 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 the old tune, face-to-face face with Christ my Savior. Can I get a witness? Yeah, there's a, there's a few. Okay, not as, many, not as many as new Batman last week. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Face to face I shall behold him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all his glory, I shall see him by and by. A great, a great devotional sentiment, isn't it? And, and even in, in this, this hymn, of course, we've bridged the gap from the Old Testament in Moses to the New Testament with Jesus. And uh, we wonder, how did we get there? Well, let's, let's see a little bit how, we, how indeed we do get there. This passage opens up with a uh, 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 paragraph 7 to 11 of chapter 33. Let me read this because we haven't thus far. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. This is voluntary. Then no one was compelled to have to go out. But if they wanted to see Moses and wanted to hear from the Lord through Moses, they had to go outside the camp. And they go outside the camp. And everyone who sought the Lord went out there. Verse 8, whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. With all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord, Yahweh, used to speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend, when Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, would, a young man would not depart from the tent. Uh, the, the true assistant, the true associate, is there dwelling uh, in the same tent of meeting. Now this tent of meeting is not the tabernacle. That has not been built yet. The construction will come in the following chapters. Now, it can get a little confusing as we go ahead because sometimes tent of meeting does refer to the tabernacle later on in history. But right now, it's a particular tent where only Moses and apparently Joshua go. It's outside the, outside the camp. Remember the, the curse in chapter 33. The Lord said, I will not dwell in the midst of my people. So, of course, this tent of meeting has to be outside the camp. He will not be in the midst of his people. And, and though that is a bit of a curse, it's also a bit of a blessing because if the Lord had remained in the midst of his people, what would happen? Like, they're gone, right? Judgment, I would consume you. He, are, the glory of God is a, is a fire, a consuming fire. And if he remains within his adulterous people... He would consume them. So it's a blessing that he actually removes himself just a bit. But he doesn't leave them high and dry. He continues to meet with Moses. And Moses is there communing with the Lord. He's speaking with the Lord, talking with the Lord face to face. Like a friend. Friendship with God. It's an interesting concept, theological concept, friendship. With God, it's not one of those uh, systematic categories that we normally get into. Friendship with God, and yet Jesus, indeed, as He's speaking with His disciples uh, just before uh, He is crucified, with His disciples in the upper room, He says, "Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends." I have called you friends. Are you a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a friend of God? You commune with him. You speak with him. You talk with him. Do you walk with him? You know, this, this paragraph gives us a sense of an ongoing, regular uh, experience that Moses has with the Lord. And the people kind of in on it, they watch him march, and they watch him come out. And there's a bit of reverence and respect as this is done. This tent of meeting, how, you know, remember is kind of a replacement for the mount. God had a special opportunity for the people of God at the mount. He was at that point going to abide with his people and be in their midst in a special way. But because of their disloyalty, because of their adultery, they they lost that opportunity. And so now the tent of meeting is this replacement, in a way, for the mount. And they're going to be now moving away from the mount, yes, into the land. And we'll come to that in a moment. Moses is there, verses 12 to 17 go on. Uh, In his communing with the Lord, in talking with the Lord, he's seeking the favor of the Lord. He does go looking for things. There is obviously the contentment of communing, just simply being in the presence of the one you love. But he does, he does want um, the favor of the Lord. Verse 12, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you even let me know whom you'll send with me. And yet you've said, I know you by name. And you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. Now, remember, the Lord had said to Moses, your people are down there calivanting around. And Moses says, no, 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 no. They're your people. They are the Lord's people. He promised them, covenanted with them. He's testing Moses, partly his own ambition. He's testing his people. Now, the Lord responds to this inquiry of Moses in verse 14. The Lord says, my presence will go with you. Singular. Just you. My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. And then Moses said, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us us, up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people? From every other people on of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Now we could, we could paraphrase this exchange a little bit like this. Who's going to go with us? You tell us to get up and move on, but well, who's going to go with us? Are you going to go with us? That's the implication. And God says... I'll go with you, Moses, singular, you alone. Verse 14. And then Moses responds, well, me on my own isn't enough. Go go with your people. That's what makes the difference. It's your presence with your people that makes all the difference in the world. And verse 16 indeed indeed emphasizes this reality. Isn't this what makes us distinct from all the other people in the world? Your presence. That is what marks the distinction of God's people. God is with them. God's presence marks his people, identifies his people. This is why we bear the name of Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Baptism was mentioned earlier, and it's simply the, the outward expression of the reality that I'm going to walk in the community That's identified by that name. God Almighty. Father, Son, and Spirit. We are nothing without God's presence. And Moses knows this. We have nothing without God's presence. In in fact. the, The greatest curse. The greatest judgment. The greatest loss. Is the absence of God. To not be in his presence. Now of course we understand God is everywhere present, so there's an ontological reality that you can never escape God, otherwise you would just cease to be. But here we're we're speaking when we say the Lord be with you, we're speaking about his blessedness, his favor. His promises that are kept. That's what it is for you to be in the presence of God and for God to be with you, His child and with His people. And God, God had offered to Moses now to go. You, you just go to the promised land. God offers Moses to go to the, the blessed promised land without worrying about the consuming presence of God and Moses turns it down. No, I'm not going to go. I'm not going unless you come with us. I know the I know the danger. If you stay with your people, you're a consuming fire. And your people are rebellious people, hard of heart, stiff-necked. But God, it's it's pointless, it's worthless, it's useless to have all the blessings in the world and not you. We've got to have you, not just the blessings, not just the promised land flowing with milk and honey. And the question is, would you have been satisfied with, okay, go for it. Go to the land of milk and honey. I won't be with you, says the Lord, but you can have all the milk and all the honey you want at Mount Carmel. That's how I remember these things sometimes. Would you you be satisfied Don't answer too quickly. It, would you be satisfied to enter heaven if Jesus wasn't there? In fact, when you consider your departure or departure of a loved one, what, what is, what is you, your foremost desire to see and be when you're there? With Jesus? If if he's not first in your thought and your mind and your heart, then we have to really ask ourselves a hard question: Have I put anything ahead of Jesus? Have I put anyone ahead of Jesus? Moses would have none of this, and and if you only love God for what He gives, well. You're a spiritual adulterer, a, a, spiritual, a spiritual hussy. That's how Ezekiel would talk about it. Hmm. M- Moses turned, turned down um, even the presence of God if it would be for him alone. He wants it for all of God's people, not just for himself. Moses wasn't in this for himself. This, this shows that, that interaction, this, this mediator role of Moses between God and the people. And it points us to one far greater than Moses, who is our go-between, our mediator between God and man. The man, Christ, Jesus. Jesus also would die rather than leave God's people without God. Jesus would do anything, give anything, including his own life, in order that God would dwell among his people. And Jesus did experience the, quote-unquote, absence of God. As he's upon the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we recited earlier that he descended into hell, there's a couple of realities in this. He took on himself the whole punishment, weight, and burden of eternal condemnation for all sin of the world in himself on the cross. He is our go-between, between between God and man. Well, Moses, Moses... seeks the favor of the Lord. He's promised the favor of the Lord. He keeps on going. He keeps going further in. I want to see your glory. Like, would you be that gutsy? I want to see your... I want your favor. I want you to be with us. And I want to see your glory. Moses seeks the vision of the glory of the Lord, verses 18... Of chapter 33. Uh, We'll go into chapter 34 and verse 8. Moses said, please, please show me your glory. And Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. And so we go into chapter 34 and Moses gets ready to go up there. He cuts the tablets of stone. His people had broken the law and literally broken the tablets of that law. And now instead of God carving a new set, Moses has to carve the second set by hand. And, and verse 2, be ready in the morning. Go up, you alone, no one will come. No flocks, no herds. Verse 3, verse 4, so he did it. He cut the stone tablets as the Lord commanded him, verse 5, Moses ascended, and now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name Yahweh. And here it is. Yahweh, Yahweh. Yahweh. Moses wants to see the glory of the Lord. And God says he'll do two things. Well, you, you can't see my face, Moses, but you can see my goodness and I will proclaim my name to you. And at, at this point, we're given a hint. I'll have mercy on who I have mercy. I'll have compassion on who I have compassion. He wants to see God. you realize a little temptation here. The desire to image God. A similar toying around of temptation that the people just did down in the valley. Forming an image of God. And Moses, I want to see your glory. He wants a visual. He wants to know what God looks like. That's what Moses means by glory. But instead, what does God do? He declares his name. God speaks. God gives a description of the way he is. God does not give a description of the way he looks. God is not known through visual image in this way. He cannot be pictured. You cannot make an idol and say, This is God. But His goodness and His name will be revealed. So, Moses ascends, God descends, God reveals himself, the goodness and the glory of God, in the proclamation of his name. Catch that again, verses 5 and 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Merciful, loving, forgiving. His name, his name, That's what He's given His people, His name. The psalmist in Psalm 138 verse 2 says, You have exalted above all things Your name and Your word. You can't separate the character and the nature of God, His name, and the word. They're of the same. What is God like? Well, He's a God who burns with anger. But he's a God who is slow to anger. He's a God who doesn't ignore sin, but he's also a God who forgives sin. Steadfast love. He'll keep his promises to his people. He will forgive. He'll be merciful and gracious. He'll be compassionate. And as soon as this revelation is given to Moses, Moses immediately claims the character of God and intercedes on behalf of the people praying to the Lord that God would be God. That indeed he would be merciful, compassionate, holy, and forgiving, and that's that's our same hope—the merciful name of the Lord. You now, there's still attention. How can he be holy and forgiving at the same time? But this is our God. And are you satisfied with God? Are you satisfied with? With all that he's revealed to us of himself, his character, his nature, his being, what he is like. Our tendency is to want to know what he looks like. Our tendency is to first jump to, what do you want me to do? When the main application that God wants us to get is to know him. And that was, that was Moses' cry. I want, to, I want to find favor in your sight. I want to know your ways. I want to know you. Chapter 34 goes on, a little bit extended portion, and, and he's, God renews his covenant. He's restating some of the key commandments of the Ten Commandments. He tells them, you're, you're to be a different people. You're to be, you're to be a different nation. Don't make political treaties with other nations, verses 11 and 12. Don't join in their worship festivals, verses 13 to 15. Don't marry unbelievers, verse 16. And do not make idols, 17. Don't imagine and then carve something that you think I'm like. God is jealous. We tend to think of jealousy as only a negative. But God is jealous, and it's a good jealous. God is jealous for the affections and adorations of his people. The love of his bride. The love of his bride. The Lord was about ready to bring his bride into his chamber in the Holy of Holies. And they spurned him for a golden calf. The bride on, on marriage day ran away. And fornicated with a golden calf. Uh, I know, I know, I know. It's a bit blunt. But this is the jealousy of the Lord. This is the zeal of the Lord and the passion of the Lord, his desire for your faithfulness, your fidelity. Well, he reinstates the festivals and, and on they go. They're to be a different people. And these festivals find their fulfillment in Jesus, the Passover, Lamb who was slain for the forgiveness of sin, the sending of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and we look forward to the day when he'll return and bring in the final harvest. Moses couldn't see God. All he encountered was the word of God. Uh, one, one, One commentator put it something like this. All he saw was the face of a rock. God passes by. And God covers him protect him and Moses can see the afterglow of God's glory but he cannot see the face now there is something for us if if we go ahead to the end of the chapter verses 28 to 35 Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand he came down from the mountain Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Is it contagious? But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished with them, he put a veil over his face. And whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses face was shining and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord God's glory is transforming those who encounter his glorious presence are changed here Moses radiates God's glory transforms those who come into his presence and if you, if you enter God's presence through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you radiate the glory of God increasingly. Here's how the New Testament puts it. We're referring to this Old Testament narrative, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Speaking of the church, the believers, we all, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes by the Lord who is the Spirit. Beholding the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. People who don't recognize the glory of God do so because they don't recognize Jesus. And when you recognize Jesus, then you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's the longing. That's not the longing of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, face to face with Jesus Christ, my Savior. Face to face, what shall it be? Exodus 34 does not say that Moses was radiant because he saw God's glory. Read it carefully. It says he had spoken with the Lord. It's the word of the Lord that reveals the glory of the Lord. You will shine from one degree of glory unto another. You will radiate the glorious presence of the Lord to the extent in which you know him through his word. This living word. This is our challenge, isn't it? This is our challenge. We see Christ's glory in the gospel. Again, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God told Moses, you cannot see my face. No one may see my face and live. That's the message of the law. The veil. But in the gospel, The good news of Jesus Christ, the glory of God in the face of Christ. In the face of Christ, we see the the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness God in Christ. In the cross of Christ, we see our guilt is punished so that God does forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin That's a transforming vision. Have you encountered Christ in his word? Do you see the glory of God in the face of Christ? Father, this is expressed desire of our hearts. Perhaps we feel we're in a dry, weary land. Perhaps we feel we're on the rocky crags on the side of a mountain. Perhaps we've lost the sight of your glory because we've lost sight of Christ. And so our cry now, is to admit that we have a wonderful Savior. A wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows that dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His hand. Lord, we want to see your glory in the face of Christ. Awaken within us a desire for Christ in his word. Communion with you. Indwelling. Tabernacled among us.